Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. I think uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the announcement. I never heard that before. The soft bigotry of low expectations. That sound like from a Democratic perspective who came from public housing that people like Odell, I don't expect you to do anything. Right. I am about putting the interest of the people ahead of the interest of the career politicians or the career politicians want to be. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids, and I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we just come to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to live long enough, God. At the ripe old age of 63, I'm starting to see a lot of seeds that you allowed me to sow in individuals years ago, God. God, I'm starting to see those seeds grow and nurture and turn into fruit. And a lot of people we've mentored and touched certain parts of their lives, God, we can just see it now. We can see it. Couldn't see it years ago, but now we could see it. So I say thank you, God, for allowing me to live long enough to see vision. God, we thank you for using me. Thank you for allowing me to do your bidding. Thank you, God, for just allowing me to be a blessing to others with no expectation in return. And now you get to see as an older man, what it's all about, God. God, we're planting trees that we know we won't sit and enjoy the shade, but other people planted seeds and trees for us. God, you're allowing me to build bridges that I won't cross, but other people to make it easier for them to cross. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Just thank you for being God and thank you for the salvation. In Jesus' precious name, we pray and believe. Amen. 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 Dear Heavenly Father, just uh, lift up uh, the safety of travel back from Fort Myer with uh, 80-some people where we did a missions trip. Uh, thank you for the, the group of young men and women that were in my group. They work so hard. Lord, uh, we lift up the people that got flooded as well. And Lord, we lift up our guest today who is uh, has got a great heart, got a great heart for service, got a great heart for you. And Lord, uh, we ask for blessings on him and blessings on his task ahead. And uh, with you, all things are possible because you always show up. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pause and reflect to thank thee for thy grace, for thy tender mercies, for the love of thee, which surpasses all understanding. We're grateful for the safety, peace, and protection that was ours throughout the nighttime hours and for the rest received, to wake up refreshed and ready for this new day. How grateful we are to be tools and instruments in thy hands to accomplish much good and to help bring many souls into thy kingdom. We love thee. We love the gospel. We're grateful for its influence in our lives and for our membership. And we are grateful for all that we are and have, and we dedicate to thee to consecrate to thy righteous and divine purposes. Help us, we pray, to be effective tools and instruments in thy hands. We love thee so much. We love the gospel. We're grateful for the opportunity we have in this goodly land. Despite its warts and imperfections, it's still the land of promise and plenty, where progress and prosperity can be and should be enjoyed by every willing heart. 
We thank Thee so much for the multitude of Thy tender mercies, the blessings, miracles, and favors that are ours each and every day. Help us, we pray, to do better and be better this day and every day. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Bill, guess what? What? We have a special guest for our audience who has a big announcement. You know, I would say drum roll, please, but I don't even think it's a drum roll, please. What do you think, Bill? Because I see I'm the good looking black, black, slim and trim Democrat here. And, you know, you're the Republican. So what say you, my friend? I said, let's do it. Let's get her done. I think uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the announcement. Uh, I'm glad that he's running. I think he brings a fresh vision to uh, what the state needs. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for him and his campaign. And thank you for coming up and spending some time with us. You know, I wanted to ask you this past week, you were in Vegas. Yes, I went to Las Vegas. I had an opportunity and a young man who I've been mentoring since his senior year in high school. He's the manager of one of the boxers. And it was a big fight down in Vegas. And I was so proud of him. He has grown to be a man. And that's one of the things my prayer is just heavy on my heart. God, you allowed me to live long enough that people whose lives you touched, now you can see them, you know, because we I've never did this before, Bill. We all, most of us grew up on grandma's porch and we were the little one on grandma's porch. Now we're grandma. Now we're grandpa. Now people are looking to us, asking us for direction and, and advice. And it's a lot of responsibility when you're mentoring someone, much like what you did with the young kids down in Florida. They're looking up to you and what an awesome responsibility it is to interject in young people's lives. I agree. I agree. It's an honor that God has given me and you and, uh, you know, Ishmael, you're talking about, we call him Ish. Yes. He's been on our podcast. So if you want to hear his, look it up, uh, just put Ishmael and it will come up. But uh, here's my reflection. Last week, I was in a missions trip in uh, 110 heat and my Baptist pastor friend Odell goes to the city of Sin in vegas so how does this happen that i'm down doing missions work and you go to city of sin well let me rephrase and redirect the narrative on city of sin one of the things about las vegas is the fact that it's a lot there if i was 36 years old not saved and a single man las vegas would have not been a good place for me but at 63 a saved grandfather with his wife on his arms. I like the fact of going to the contest, the boxing contest. So many celebrities. I enjoy that too. Great seats. But the issue there, the main thing was to see this young man who's a good Christian young man get involved because a lot of times the issue is Christians people of faith, whether Christians, Jewish, you know, whatever, we don't get involved. Because we're like, okay, nah, nah, Las Vegas is not good. No, box is not good. No, politics is not good. We need decent people in all these arenas, Bill. And that's what's going to make the difference. Because Jesus just didn't hang out with all the holy rollers. Jesus went to the people. He went to community. He went to Vegas, baby. He went to Vegas. <laughs> Well, he hung out with sinners, so that's a good place to go, I can tell you. You know, it was interesting. I went to a sermon. I uh, went to Summit Church in Oak Ridge there in my district, so I thought I'd go and attend. And this, the sermon was about uh, when God asks you to do something or opens the door, if you don't go through it, there's consequences. Wow. And the consequences are missed opportunities. And he gave Peter as an example. When Jesus was uh, preaching and all these people were coming up close and, and he wanted to get on Peter's boat to go out and speak, it'll be easier for the people to hear. He went to Peter and he said, Peter, I want to go on your boat and speak. Now, Peter had been out fishing all night long mm. and caught nothing. He was tired. He was irritable. And he was getting ready to go back out again because he had to catch fish. And here's this rabbi that says, can I use your boat? He could have easily said no. Mm. He could have easily said no. And then what would have happened to Peter's ministry? Wow. And he said yes. And then when Jesus got done, he said, take your boats out and put your nets down. And he said, we've been out there all day. And he could have said no. But he said yes. 
And today we have a man that's saying yes. We have a citizen public service. I'm yep. going to ask him to introduce himself to our audience and his special announcement. Thank you. Thank you so much, Odell. Bill, it's a pleasure to be with y'all today on Common Ground Podcast. I can't think of a more appropriate setting and venue than to be able to uh, share with uh, neighbors, family, friends, citizens of this state that I, Jesse Thomas, a citizen public servant, is uh, feeling a very urgent call. And that call is to announce this day that I'm on the Lord's errand to become the next governor of this great state. So I want to declare and announce that I'm running for governor of the state of North Carolina. And uh, I want to bring the bona fides that I have as a chief executive officer. The role of governor is the chief executive officer of the state. All too often, we think about that role as a political role. Sure, it's political, but it's the career politicians and the extremists that does not give it the opportunity to showcase in the way that it really was intended to, to lead the people, to execute faithfully and fully the laws that have been implemented by the General Assembly, the people's representative. But the governor is a chief executive, and so I'm a retired uh, chief executive officer. My last role was that as the CEO of Healthy Blue, a statewide health plan that is part of my long and storied history of running as a chief executive officer of health plans all over this country. So I'm pleased to bring that uh, background and perspective as a citizen public servant. Uh, recently had the opportunity to serve as a member of the board of directors for our board of trustees for UNC Pembroke, for board of directors for NC Child, and uh, on the board for North Carolina American Indian Health Board. So I'm pleased to be able to bring that perspective and background into the fray and to be able as a non-career politician or extremist to be able to bring common ground, common sense, and compassion to the people of this great state. Well, you know what? That's a big deal because citizen public service, Jesse Thomas just announced on Common Ground Podcast that he's running for governor for the great state of North Carolina, the mother of all swing states. Now, how do I refer to you? Do I call you Jesse Thomas, Citizen Public Service, Citizen Thomas? How would you like for me to address you, sir? Or should I say governor? <laughs> governor has a nice ring to it. What's that old expression? Uh, like that. Call me anything. Just don't call me late for dinner. All right. So, Jesse. So we say governor, don't be late for dinner. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, Jesse, you have no elected experience. You've been a successful, as you stated, healthcare executive, and now you're running for governor. Why? Why? You know, they say in uh, real estate, it's three things. It's location, location, location. Well, in politics, it's three things. It's timing, timing, timing. And what's right about the timing? The seat is an open seat uh, because the current governor is term limited. But more importantly, the people are so sick and tired of being sick and tired mm. of the contention and the acrimony and the bigotry and the anger, all those things that uh, for some reason, the career politicians and the extremists feel like they need to do. Well, I don't come with that baggage or that perspective as a politician, but I come with a political savvy. And I do come with a perspective and a background of a tried, tested and true individual who has been there and done something and done something good for the most vulnerable and underserved uh, individuals in this state and many of the states in which I've been privileged to serve and operate. So I'm grateful for the opportunity I have with an open seat coming not as a career politician, but coming as a citizen public servant. We want to put the interest of the people ahead of the interest of politics. That's fantastic. That We need to hear more of that. The thing is, you're going to have to break through the noise in the system. There's there's a couple big individuals, no pun intended, that take a lot of the air out of the room, Trump and Robinson both. So how do you anticipate getting in there? You know, it's about um, – that's a fair question. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And it really is about 
the interest of the people and making sure that notwithstanding all of the noise and all of the oxygen that gets sucked out of the room, if it's about the individual and the individual's agenda rather than the people's agenda, then it is hollow. It rings hollow and it is for naught. I want to make sure that I'm putting the interest of the people ahead of the interest of politics and their own personal agenda. And so I think that uh, we don't give the public and people enough credit for being savvy and know what their interests are. And the interests are the kitchen table issues, not the culture war issues. And those kitchen table issues, uh, from my perspective, is having our state become first and healthy, be a healthy economy, a healthy education system, and a healthy population. And I'm determined to make our state first and healthy. And that's your vision for the next 15, 20 years to make our state healthy economically, physically, with medical, and then education. I think those are great, great, great things. And, you know, the rhetoric that you hear, Ronald Reagan said, trust the American people. And I think that's where you're at. You're going to state your case and let all the noise swirl around you. I've I've had that happen to me for about the last <laughs> two and a half months. I, I don't like to be in the front page of the cover of the, the fold. And uh, unfortunately, it's been happening. And uh, but, you know, the, the thing is, you, you, I think once people get a chance to meet you and hear you, I think you bring a fresh perspective to the whole group of people running. Yeah, I, I appreciate the, yeah. those comments. Absolutely. Well, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. We having a Republican boys night out or something here? Love fest. It's I a mean, love a, fest. a Republican love fest. So we have, so Bill, we finally have another Republican on here <laughs> who you like, listen, but let me ask a question though, as the Democrat in the circle who love everybody, <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Robinson is leading the polls and will soon have President Trump's endorsement. You know, Citizen Thomas, how can you beat him? And let me let me lay it out, because one has been called an extremist, Lieutenant Governor. The other friend of ours, Congressman Mark Walker, has been called a career politician. Citizen Thomas haven't called him that. I say that's been the case. But it's interesting, Citizen Thomas, that I see that you have a path to victory here, which is interesting. A Republican educated CEO who have run one of the major industries in the state and been successful. And he's black. He's not as good looking as I am, of course. You know, let's let's not get carried away here now. But I see it. I see it. And at the end of the day, what do you see? Because Lieutenant Governor is a big deal. Congressman Walker is a big deal. But my dear friend, you a big deal, too. Thank you. I appreciate that. And the people are a big deal. And that is really what uh, matters most. Because from my perspective, we talk about uh, Mr. Robinson having presumably the lead in the polls. Yes, sir. Well, my background and profile is not in the polls yet. Wow. Yeah. So let's give it a few months and see if we can uh, still make that declaration that uh, he's ahead in the polls. The difference between where I am and where he is is simply this. I am a no-nonsense Republican. Bears repeating. I am a no-nonsense Republican. And what does that mean? That means that I am about putting the interest of the people ahead of the interest of the career politicians or the career politicians that want to be. And they have determined that you want to stir, you want to put the red meat in the water, you want to have uh, something to fuss about, to be angry about, to be uh, belligerent about. I'm not about that at all. I'm about helping the people progress and prosper and to have equality of access and opportunity. And I am absolutely confident when the people hear my rationale and my vision, which is to get us to a point where we have a burgeoning economy a healthy population, a healthy education system, and a healthy economy with uh, jobs uh, for all, and to be able to do this in an environment that is respectful, collaborative, cooperating with one another, finding 
dare I say it, Common Ground. Yes, yes. On the Common Ground podcast, because that's at the end of the day what the people really want. You know, you remind me of this Bible story, David and Goliath, and you said no red meat. So, Saul, I don't need your armor. I don't need your weapons. I don't need what's going on in out there today. I don't need to divide. I don't need to be over the top. I don't need to be career politician. I don't need any of that. But you need faith, though. Yes. Where do you have the faith? Where does this calling come from? It is. It's about faith. It is really about faith. And it's about feeding your faith and not feeding your fears. Wow. Can you say that again? Yeah, I like that. So that a preach yeah. that a preaching a black <laughs> Baptist Democrat church. You know, we got to watch that, Bill. Yeah. That'll preach. <laughs> so it is feeding your faith and not your fear. And what the, the extremists and the hard right and the hard left are trying to do is to make people scared and to make them fearful of things. We are hopeful and optimistic people, and this is a land of promise and plenty despite the warts and imperfections in our country and in our state. But we are a place of promise and plenty where progress and prosperity can be enjoyed by every willing heart. Wow. So feed your faith and not your fear. Wow. Wow. I, I just almost don't even speechless on that because that's so powerful. But what do you believe is the greatest problem facing North Carolina today, sir? That is an excellent question. And I, I don't imagine many people talk about this, but I think the greatest fear facing our country is this. We have a silent, wide middle ground majority between these two extremes okay. where there is common sense, compassion, a desire to do the right thing for self, for family, for church, for community, for state and for the entire world for that matter. And in our state, we have 36, in the last general election, 36%, more than a third, 36% of the registered voters are unaffiliated or independent. Wow. Why is that? Because the people are saying that I don't have a comfortable political home to be in. And that 36% does not include the disaffected Republicans or the disaffected Democrats. So the biggest issue facing this country is that the silent majority in that wide middle ground do not come out to help select who the nominees are for the general election. So you can see the problem there is that the vast majority of the people are absolutely silent in choosing their candidates. And it's chosen by a hard line right or left, those candidates that don't necessarily represent the ideals, the principles, the dreams, hopes, and aspirations of the majority of the people. We cannot have a thoughtful, common ground, perspective, dialogue, debate in our public policy outcomes and the results that we get because the vast majority of the people don't come out until maybe the general election. So this 36% unaffiliated they are busy taking care of the economy, their kids, the school system, the police station, the hospital, healthcare providers, all of those things. And then they'll come out in the general election. But the table has already been set then by the candidates and the nominees. I want them involved and engaged. I want a more diverse perspective and background coming into mix into the mix to help choose who our nominees are. So that's the biggest each are facing our state. So you want the selection of the Republican primary. So this is the primary because there's no general if one doesn't win the primary. That's exactly right. And it's interesting that much like what certain groups or the caucus decides who should be the candidate. I know my good friend Bill went through some of that or going through that locally. But Bill, I know you got the next question for him on, you know, North Carolina for the next 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your vision for the next 25 years? Right? That's a long time. It is a long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to say it right at the outset and then I get as granular as you want me to. I want our state to be a state where every citizen progress, prosperity, and is happy, healthy, and well-adjusted in every respect. And I think that we have an opportunity to make it a thriving state by doing everything that we can to ensure that individuals indeed have 
progress and prosperity. How is that possible? I want us to be able to get to in a burgeoning economy, a zero percent state income tax. Wait, wait, wait. Zero percent state income tax. Other states have that. I think uh, doesn't Florida have that? Florida has that. Texas has that. Neighboring Tennessee has that. So in my opinion, what I want to see over the next 25 years is a thriving economy, a economy that's turbocharged. And I believe the way to do that is to make sure that we are putting more money into the hands and the pockets of the people. So the people are choosing how they are spending their money for consumption of goods, services, property. And I believe that it is possible on a, on a budget neutral basis to be able to get the same amount of revenue and income with having a zero state income tax. And I want to be able to accomplish that within eight years after getting elected. But here's what I want to do for senior citizens. I want to be able to get seniors to a zero state income tax within four years, so in half the time. And this state is a destination state for tourism, for retirees, for business. And so I want it to be that shining city or state on the hill that everybody is interested in because it is where we have progress and prosperity for all and to have happy, healthy, and well-adjusted people and a thriving community where it is the envy of the entire country, if not the entire world. Yeah. That's a great vision. That's a great vision. You know, you, as you were saying that, you know, the the other states, Texas and Florida, that have zero income tax in Tennessee, of course, and then us. Yeah. Well, Tennessee doesn't have any beaches, at least we do. <laughs> but uh, the other thing is we have a much more moderate climate than Florida and Texas after being down in Florida <laughs> in July and August. it's so. But, you know, I, I can see retirees wanting to come here for the tax advantage, but also for the climate and we have mountains and beaches and everything in between. So I, I think that uh, I think your vision is great. And uh, as business comes in, as it continues to do, I think the Republicans have done a pretty good job of building up a war chest to bring folks in, companies in. Yeah. They can hire people. Yeah. The workers have to come from someplace because they're not sitting around here. Yeah. They're coming from probably Ohio and Pennsylvania and New York getting out of that cold weather, Michigan, That's exactly uh, right. which is okay. Yeah, It's okay. You know, here's the other thing. We talk about those three states, and I think many people would be aware that uh, those states don't have a state income tax, but there are nine states in this country that don't have a state income tax. Wow. We'd be the 10th. So that means 20% of the states don't. Wow. And here's an interesting uh, data point. There are 1.8 million senior citizens in this state, and there are over 15 states counties within our 100 counties where the number of individuals that are over age 65 are now growing at a rate that is faster than the birth rate in those counties so that you're getting to the point where the demand for assisted living and retirement and long-term care supports and services are important, requiring more skilled uh, health aides and uh, community health workers and others. So with that growth of uh, retirees in the state with a zero state income tax for those seniors and them able to consume in a way the goods and services and the property that they want to be able to and not have the government have its hand in their pockets, I think is an absolute mecca uh, for not only seniors, but for business, for entrepreneurs, for those, because of the weather that you just described, we are a moderate four-season state and a destination, I believe, for uh, many, many decades to come. And so I think with a burgeoning, burgeoning economy, the amount of uh, tax revenue that the state will take in, even with a zero state income tax, is mm -hmm. just phenomenal. Yeah, you know, it, it, the uh, I've gotten involved in the school board and I haven't been in there that long, but it's it's become pretty obvious to me that we've underfunded education for a long, long time. Not only standpoint of teacher salary, but the actual physical plants that we have. We've done a good job of doing the community colleges and a really good job on universities. But when you get below that, you know, elementary, middle school and high school really are struggling with things. And the average age of a school in Guilford County is 60 years. Wow. So it's old. It's it old stuff. And uh, 
So we fortunately got a $2 billion bond, biggest one in the state ever done. And uh, we did it based on our need. We had someone come in, this was in 2019, and said you actually need about 2.4. We got $2 billion. And uh, unfortunately, the prices today, we're about $300 million short now <laughs> because of the price is going up. Yeah. And uh, so we have to cut back on things. And we're just one county. We're just third largest, but we're still one county. So how would you attack education? Yeah. Education is, it is the pathway to that progress and prosperity that I talked about. Most people think of uh, school and education being a place where we can do all kinds of experimentation and uh, social experiments with our kids and the things that uh, we are putting into the curriculum. That is not good. And I want to be absolutely certain that we think about in a economy that is a free market economy, we expect competition, don't we, in a free market society? Absolutely. That is what Absolutely. makes it successful. Why shouldn't we then expect a free market thought process and philosophy when it comes to our schools? I want our schools to be competitive, and I want to have our kids be able to have a choice, them and their parents. I want them to have a choice of where their children go to school mm -hmm. so that they can have the best possible preparation for the workplace. And most people don't think about uh, at least primary and uh, secondary school as being the place for workforce development, but that's patently wrong. We need to be thinking about our schools as places of workforce development. I want to see kids as early as eighth grade, so the last year of middle school, being uh, financially literate and have some perspective of where they want to end up in the economy. I want them to be able to have as many choices as uh, no matter what zip code you live in, no matter how prosperous or uh, poor or impoverished your family is, you ought to have equality of access and opportunity when it comes to education. So I want to be able to make sure that our charter school system is one that continues to grow and blossom. And uh, back to this notion of competition, when there is a monopoly, as opposed to free market competition, monopolies enable intentionally or unintentionally mediocrity. And uh, competition helps promote and encourage thriving and excellence. And so why shouldn't we have in the public school system a free market mentality and approach and I want to see competition. I want to see more charter schools. I want to see parents having freedom of choice of where their kids go to school, regardless of what zip code that they live in. So that's how I think about education. You know, Citizen Thomas, I'm sitting here watching you, listening to you talk about education and all the things that are associated with it. Charter schools, choice. And I'm a Democrat, but I believe in choice also. I believe in Choice. I believe in charter school. I believe public school. I believe you could take public dollars and let the dollars follow the children. I, I believe that. Mm -hmm. I believe that. Some people don't, but I do. But the question is, where did you go to school? I mean, here you are, a very successful CEO, executive. I don't even know what the budget was, but where did you learn to read and write? Give us your background, because you're talking about choice of school. What choices did you have to get you to where you are, sir? Yeah, I grew up in the Mississippi Delta, the son of sharecroppers in the Jim whoa, Crow whoa, era. Whoa. Mississippi sharecroppers, Jim Crow. So you don't believe in excuses. I don't believe in excuses. Excuses is convenient, but it's not something that keeps those who have a will to achieve to not achieve. We are all created in the likeness and image of a loving, compassionate, generous Heavenly Father and Heavenly Parent who want the absolute very best for us. And so I went to public schools, and so I would not uh, put down public schools in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And I grew up in that era where it was uh, separate but uh, equal. It was separate and anything but equal. Wow. We had uh, the old torn up textbooks and school books and the material and the resources were in no way uh, separate but equal. And so I had the will to achieve and a desire to overcome and to endure. 
And I believe as a result of that, I've had an opportunity to uh, progress and prosper. But I believe that there is something that is patently false and wrong with uh, being taxed so that you can fund and support the public school system. But then there is the hidden tax on those who feel like that not all public schools are equal, as I was describing, and they tend to not give a top quality education. And with that, and with that, I'm uh, concerned that you have to send your kids in some instances to a private school. So wow. it's the hidden tax of not only paying taxes to support a public school, but if you want that quality education, you have to send them to a private school. Something is patently wrong with that. So when the people and I'm going back to Bill because he's the expert. So when the people say Citizen Thomas, Governor Thomas, you don't understand your response to them is what? My response is I do understand. And that's why I'm in this race, because I think that the career politicians and the extremists don't understand. They want to push and promote mediocrity. And it was at one point called the soft bigotry of low expectations. Wow. Well, I never heard that before. The soft bigotry, bigotry of, of low, low expectations. expectations. That sound like from a Democratic perspective, who came from public housing, that people like Odell, I don't expect you to do anything. Right. And so we become victims of social promotions. Continue to pass along from one grade to the next higher grade to the next higher grade. And if you don't achieve the ability and the proficiency in reading, writing and arithmetic uh, by a certain stage or age, third, fourth and fifth grade, you are behind the learning curve almost for the rest of your life. And so the soft bigotry, if not the hard bigotry of, of low expectations, is highly problematic. You sound like my good friend, Bill Goble, who's a Republican. So, yes, Bill. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I totally agree. I think uh, that there is so much room for education. You know, I have a training company. We train maintenance people how to fix things. There's such a shortage of skilled tradesmen, everything from plumbers, electricians, heat and air conditioning, and then folks that keep our plants running, our factories running. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I found is that we're not making the jobs realistic. You know, when people think oh, I'm going to work in a factory or a plant, they're thinking of the old textile mills, yeah. dirty and nasty. I know the things now you look at it and, you know, you're doing computers are running the machines. You do robotics. I mean, there's all kinds of technology involved. And, uh, I have a friend that has machine specialties and he has an apprentice program. He says, I can't get enough apprentices. Mm -hmm. And North, uh, Guilford County has the largest apprentice program in the state. We have 92 people in it. Wow. Yeah, which is not many, considering we have 70,000 students. Wow. And uh, so it's not, a, it's not a lot. In his case, he has uh, CNC machines and uh, they're making parts for SpaceX making parts for the moon rover, mm. things like that, F-18 fighter jets. So they're making high-end items, but he still can't get all the people to come in. And it's a phenomenal program because he pays them. He gives them benefits. They get a 401k while they're going to school. Wow. And uh, they work around their schedule. So, That's you know, yeah, the uh, I think uh, when you get in office, we need to go visit them. Yeah, I'd love to do that. In fact, I'd welcome the chance to do exactly that because it's once you get from, uh, say, middle school through high school, then, you know, the pathway to success, progress and prosperity is not always through a four year college. That's right. Uh, or a master's degree and a Ph.D. beyond that. There is an opportunity through trade schools and to community colleges. And so part of my vision for education in the state is to make sure we continue to build up our trade schools and our community colleges. And we have one of the finest community college systems in the country with 58 community colleges. And our universities uh, mentioned being on the board of trustees for UNC Pembroke. There are 17 affiliated uh, colleges and campuses that's part of the first public university in the country. Wow. Uh, and UNC is the first public university in the country, but it's a big system of 17 affiliated uh, colleges and campuses. And then in addition to that, 58 community colleges. I want to beef that up and I want to have an economy that's becoming more of a technology and an AI, artificial intelligence, the new economy. 
I'm dreading and fearful that our students, children, and our, our youth and our adults are not prepared for the economy of the future. And so when I talk about making sure that we treat our education economy the way we do the rest of our economy, we want to make sure that it's marketplace, it's market-driven, it's about choice, and it's about competition, because with competition, it promotes and encourages excellence and striving as opposed to mediocrity, which yes. is what's true in a monopolistic system. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that uh, as we continue to grow the economy, that we are preparing our youth and our adults through workforce development to be prepared for a new economy. And I think we have a tremendous opportunity in a state that is a thriving and prospering state. CNBC just uh, recently said that North Carolina is first in business for the past two years. Mm -hmm. So we're a state that's known for being first. So we're first to sign on to the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. We're first in flight at Kitty Mm -hmm. Hawk. We are you know, first with the public universities, I said, University of North Carolina, first in business. I want us to be first in healthy, a healthy economy, a healthy education system that's safe and secure for workforce development and a healthy population. And I want us to be able to treat our citizens in a way that is treating mental health and physical health on a parity. And that uh, things that get stigmatized in the mental health world is something that uh, we don't tolerate. And so while it's been the law of the land for decades that you have behavioral health and physical health on a parity, it's not. Wow. We need to determine and the next governor need to be a full throated champion for parity between mental health and physical health. We have way too many issues that are substance use disorders, fentanyl and opioid that is a threat to our state because of a porous border. There is a lot that this next governor needs to do. And that's why I believe that a background of being a chief executive running a multi-billion dollar budget and tens of thousands of employees is not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the individuals who just want to stir and be involved in the culture wars, but focused on progress and prosperity for we, the people. But, you know, you said something, and Bill, excuse me, but you said for those who just want to stir it, you know, we all know we're living in a hyper-partisan times. What makes you, Citizen Thomas, think someone like you who is not a political bomb thrower, can win the GOP nomination? Yeah, I love that question. (laughs) I absolutely love that question because bomb throwing is what's gotten us to uh, where we are today uh, with this polarization and this contention, vulgarity, profanity, and all those things that the bomb throwers are doing. How in the world is that going to help John Q. Public to have bread on the table, to have a a good job, uh, to be able to have uh, money in a savings account or whatever instrument uh, investments they have to make sure they are securing their future? So I am a citizen public servant, not a career politician. I am a man of faith, uh, evidenced by my recent uh, book, uh, Financial Peace of Mind from the Scriptures. So that's something that documents uh, being a man of faith. So being a man of faith combined with and combine that with being a chief executive officer is exactly uh, what this state needs in this race uh, for the next governor of this state. So the bomb throwers, they have... uh, outlive uh, their usefulness and their uh, value, in my perspective, to the people. And so that's how it's easy to get polarized and get further and further apart. What one party is for, the others, other one is against just on principle. We can do better and we can be better. And I want us to not give as much credit as we're giving to the bomb throwers. We need to give it to thoughtful, serious-minded people who are putting the interest of the people ahead of the interest of politics. Well, you know what? I, as I've said it before and I'll say it again, it believes that sometimes the local Greensboro GOP and the statewide GOP are playing pickleball <laughs> with bombs, you know, to a certain degree, Bill. And sometimes I think is the good looking slim and trim black Democrat here that you all create a circular firing squad sometime. And it's like, don't you understand what you're doing? But Bill, Again, a Democrat, I don't know what I'm talking about. This Republican primary is going to be wide open. Your thoughts, sir? 
you know, I think that uh, we need a chief executive officer in the governor's seat that is a business person that understands business, because if we don't get business right, we don't have jobs. And if we don't have jobs, we don't have a tax base. And if we don't have a tax base, we can't do schools. We can't do hospitals. We can't do roads. We can't do garbage pickup. So it starts out with the CEO of a corporation who understands business, can read a PL and l <laughs> and uh, understand the balance sheet. And I think that it's time that we bring more business people in to run the government and do that with a compassionate heart. You know, I view myself as a compassionate Republican, mm -hmm. not a bomb thrower. I've had plenty of bombs thrown at me. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah. Uh, I have post-traumatic stress. I'm looking over my shoulder at the time. Incoming. <laughs> so, but, you know, after a while, you know, these people are bullies and they're nothing but a bunch of uh, blowhards. And I found that uh, if you call them out and say, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee and talk about it, mm -hmm. they won't take you up. Yeah. And that's a coward. Yeah. That's a coward. I agree with that. Yeah. I'm a no-nonsense uh, Republican, and I am sick and tired of losing. We have held the governor's office in this state only four out of the last 32 years. Wow. Let me say that again. Four out of the last 32 years. And the presumed front runner is not going to be able to win in the general election. I'm sick and tired of losing. I, agree I want us to be able to choose a no-nonsense Republican with my profile and background to be the nominee for the party who has broad appeal to a diverse electorate. And the presumed frontrunner just doesn't bring that uh, perspective and profile to the race. There is no way, in my humble opinion, that he can be able to win in the general election. I'm sick and tired of losing. And if we would have had a governor in the governor's office uh, for more than the four of the last uh, 32 years, I think we would already be at the point where we have a zero state income tax. And uh, thinking about our blessed uh, senior citizens uh, to have that sooner than later for them, I think that that's uh, the opportunity. That's the missed opportunity. So I want to be able to make sure that uh, we are able to have a zero state income tax. It'll help our economy grow. We'll be putting the economy on uh, steroids and be able to not uh, miss a heartbeat when it comes to gradually taking away the state income tax. And I believe it can be done within 10 years or eight years of uh, being in office. And I believe that we can do that with all due haste for uh, senior citizens. And I want us to be able to win in November. And uh, no one in the race comes with the background and profile that I bring, which is that of being a no-nonsense Republican who is a chief executive officer who has had to manage a P&L and to be thinking about the economic impact for thousands of employees. And so that's the advantage I bring. It's a good advantage. That's a great advantage. Well, you know, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The front runner, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, know him, respect him. He respects me. We're not hanging out buddies. Congressman Mark Walker is coming in close. He's having a lot of good fundraising numbers. So I know both of those individuals. So when you start thinking about, you know, Citizens Tom, what's your thoughts on Donald Trump? You know, the charges leveled against him. And when you campaign with him, if you are the GOP nominee for governor and he's the Republican nominee for president, because that's important, because one way or the other, Trump plays a very important role in the state of North Carolina politics in the Republican Party. So let me repeat the question, because I know, you know, I'm talking a lot, but what are your thoughts on Donald Trump, the charges leveled against him? And will you, sir, campaign with him if you are the GOP nominee for governor and he's a Republican nominee for president, sir? Yeah, that's a very direct question and uh, requires a direct response. Here's my direct response. I'm very much concerned about distraction and unhelpfulness in this 24 election cycle. And I believe that uh, no one is above the law, not a sitting president, not an ex-president. Uh, we all have to be called to account for 
any of our deeds or misdeeds. And uh, to the extent, and everybody is presumed innocent under the law until they've gone through due process in the court system and such. And if it turns out that he is uh, found guilty of something and adjudged as such, and when his activities and the drama in and around those activities become a distraction and unhelpful, it is time for us to move on and do those things that we need to to make sure we're focused on the interest of the people. And it's the kitchen table issues. And I don't know that uh, President Trump would be interested in campaigning with me. He's endorsing Mr. Robinson. And so I don't uh, presume anything other than as the governor, I am a governor for all the people, including the very avid uh, Trump supporters. And so I feel I have an obligation to do everything that I can to fully, full-throated, give voice to the a vision that I have and agenda I have for the people. And to the extent that there is an alignment of value between what I have as an, a, a vision, the Thomas Doctrine that I've articulated uh, here today, and it aligns in any way with what uh, Mr. Trump is advocating I'm happy to be on the stage and to have uh, as much full-throated voice as I can relative to those issues. But when it's a distraction and it's taking away from and being unhelpful to the agenda of the people in the great state of North Carolina, I have concerns with that. I want us to move on from those distractions. You know, it's interesting when you think about the history, and I don't know all the history, but at one time, Lieutenant Governor Robinson was friends with Congressman Mark Walker. I don't know if they're still friends, but when I say friends, meaning politically, he was endorsing or supporting Walker. Then Trump came on the scene to mind. And I'm just going by what I read, you know, and now Robinson endorsed Ted Budd against Walker and Budd went on to one win the Senate seat. Trump, as I understand it, haven't fully endorsed Robinson yet. I don't think so. But it's just interesting when you look at all the stuff that goes along in the Republican Party. And I said to Bill, and this question is not to you, sir, but I said to Bill a long time ago, what would happen, Bill, if Trump was black? And Bill just looked at me. Right. And so I'm going to leave that right there where it lays. But at the end of the day, President Trump is a lot, man. He takes up all the air in the room for the Republican Party and you said something that's important. You said the front runner will probably not win in the general election. I agree with that. I agree with that 100 percent. I don't believe that President Trump will win if he's a Republican nominee either. Odell's philosophy is simple. As a Democrat and as a person that most of my life I've seen the black vote. The black vote is caught between a political rock and a hard place. The Republican Party has ignored the black vote. The Democratic Party has taken the black vote for granted. So and I'm going to ask you your thoughts on the black vote since you are black and you're not better looking than I am. So let's not get that twisted. But it's a situation where if Odell had his magic wand, 50 percent of black people would be registered Democrats who votes for Democrats. 35% will be independent, so you have to work and earn their vote, and 15% will be registered Republicans who vote Republicans. So in a lot of cases, and I know you're not running to be the black governor of black people, I know that, but what I am saying, though, how do you see the black vote playing out? Because I see you are going to garner a lot of black support, sir, because a lot of black people and I'm black. I could talk on this where the Democrat, Republican, independent are very conservative and very much concerned about all the issues you talk about. Your thoughts on what crazy, good looking, slim and trim Odell just <laughs> said, sir. Well, good looking, slim and trim Odell has it uh, absolute right and and uh, could not have put it any better myself. Here's my thought on that. I grew up in a Democrat household. Oh, wow. But I've been a registered uh, Republican for decades. Mm. Why is that? That seems to be a disconnect. It just, I'm sick and I'm talking about sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of the black vote being taken for granted. It's in the hip pocket of the Democrats. And that bothers me to no end because the black vote, black families are remembered in November, but forgotten in January. 
Wow. Wait a minute. Say that again. Yes, that bears repeating. Yes, sir. The black vote is remembered in November election time, but forgotten when people take office or resume office in January. That is hollow. And we can do better and we can be better. And I want to encourage the black vote and the black community become to value their vote in the way that I value that vote. And you said you're talking about both sides of your mouth. You, how is that true? I value that vote in the sense that I want to earn. Wow. I want to earn the black vote. I don't want to presume because I'm black, I'm going to get the black vote, but I want to earn the vote. And I want to make sure that the black community demands that the Democratic candidates as well earn their vote. That vote is much more powerful as independent and unaffiliated. So I would encourage the black community to recognize the absolute value and weight with 20 percent of the population in the state being uh, black and the amount that are in the Democratic Party is a larger percentage than that. I think there is an opportunity for the black community to exact the kind of outcome and the policy and the progress that it desires by making the Democratic candidates earn their vote. I want to earn that vote and I want them to make sure that they hold the Democratic candidates accountable and make them earn their vote, too. But you said something, though. If I'm a black person and I've been a Democrat and so that why are you a Democrat? Well, I've been a Democrat because my mama been a Democrat, my daddy, my grandmama, because uh, I don't want to be a Republican. I don't want nothing to do with Trump. I don't want nothing to do with Trump. I refuse to. I rather whatever. Yeah. But now you are bringing a different offer to the table. You're saying independent, or unaffiliated. How would a black Democrat go and become independent and unaffiliated? And what would that cost me? Well, it costs absolutely nothing. Nothing it is the gift. The scripture calls it uh, uh, without price and without money. It doesn't cost anything to become an independent. It doesn't cost anything to become a Democrat. It doesn't cost anything to become a Republican. And so you have your windows of time. And I ask people, because I don't want to be responsible for giving guidance and counsel about how people should uh, register to vote, but I encourage them to know what the rules are around being unaffiliated and uh, being a declared by party. Wow. Because in the primary, as an independent or unaffiliated voter, you can vote for Democrat or Republican. You, you can vote for anybody. And then you still have the opportunity if because of that family history and family legacy of being a Democrat, have an opportunity when the general election comes to become a Democrat again. But why is that necessary? Because as an independent unaffiliated, you can vote in the general and you can vote in the primary. So you can vote the way you want, regardless. You have more value and weight as an independent and unaffiliated black voter uh, than you do as a dedicated staunch, avid, democratic, straight down, up and down the ticket voting as a Democrat. I just think that the value and weight of your vote as a black vote is diluted when you are registered as a Democrat as opposed to being an unaffiliated. And then demand. Be a demanding customer. Demand of the Republican candidate, Citizen Thomas, the presumed front runner on the Democrat side, be just as demanding of that uh, candidate and make sure they earn the vote. And I think when it's all said and done, they realize that uh, what I'm proposing is a zero state income tax. And because uh, such a large, a disproportionate uh, percentage of the black community are not in that top 2% uh, when it comes to income. And so I want them to be able to get more money in their hands and in their, in their pocketbook so they can spend, consume services and goods and property the way they see best and see fit, as opposed to having a certain percentage that is taken out of their paycheck as income tax. I want to be able to be able to control and I want to give that control to a community that uh, historically is marginalized, is not at parity when it comes to investments, savings and all those things that those who had the more privilege and more opportunity over the process of time. So I'm encouraging the black community, if uh, nothing else resonates, is, is coming across to the black voter, black community today. I want to encourage the black community to consider becoming unaffiliated and independent 
their vote would have a lot more weight. Uh, the Democrat and the Republican have to earn that vote. I love that. You know, that's my thing, earn the vote. Now, on your business card, and I'm sure you have another card that says North Carolina's first, the start of something big. I love the thought of independence unaffiliated, make them earn your vote, man. Because if you are doing anything, you want people to earn it. It says compassionate, common sense, conservative, and Jesse Citizen Thomas. Now, two things. You talked a lot about your plan to grow our state's economy, but I just want to make sure I get that word right and the listeners get it right. Because one thing that black folk love is good jobs. But also then I want you to end it. And Bill has a question. Why did you decide to pick Common Ground podcast to announce to the whole world that Jesse Thomas is running for governor of the great state of North Carolina, the mother of all swing states, the purple states, all that. Why, sir? You just said it yourself. Common Ground. It's about Common Ground. What's the name of this podcast? Common Ground. I want to find Common Ground. There is no value and virtue in polarization. It brought us to the verge of the cliff's edge uh, on January 6, uh, 2021. Who would have thunk that in this great country, we could be at a point of non-peaceful transfer of power? Who would have thunk that we were on the verge of a coup d'etat? In uh, this great blend of promise and plenty, you'd expect it in an underdeveloped country. That's very sad and unfortunate, and it's time for us to find common ground. So this idea of the politics of ABC, anger, bigotry, and contention, I'm about the ABCs of accepting, belonging, and collaborating. And so common ground is about collaborating and belonging and agreeing and doing everything that we can to be able to support, encourage, and help Family, neighbor, friends, community, church, state, country. It's about common ground. And I can't think of a more appropriate venue to announce that I'm running for governor of this great state than to come to the Common Ground podcast that has a black Democrat as one of the co-hosts and the other being a white Republican. And I just think that that just speaks volumes about where we are as a state. We are a diverse state. And the presumed front runner on the Republican side is constantly name calling and uh, belittling various elements and segments and subcultures within our very diverse state. I'm sick and tired of us losing, and I want us to win by nominating a no-nonsense Republican who can win in the general. And I want to be able to execute on the Thomas Doctrine, which is to get us to a zero state income tax, starting with our seniors, and to be able to have a healthy economy, a healthy education system, and a healthy population. You know, you almost got me as a Democrat <laughs> convinced. Now, I'm serious because I've met with the front runner in the Democratic Party. My friend, your strategy, and that was my issue with him. He had no strategy, or at least he didn't share it that day. Your strategy is spot on. One last question I would like to ask you before Bill closes it out. You talked about growing up in Mississippi, Jim Crow, segregation you probably threw gonna throw in some cotton fields in there oh, and everything yeah. else oh yeah where did your faith come from man i could feel it you believe but you don't believe that you are better than anybody else you believe that we all can get there where did that come from in the cotton fields of mississippi cotton fields of mississippi you know sharecropping really is just uh slavery at another level I'm just going to be frank about it. 
I can remember when I ran for Congress, I was in Colorado at the time in 2000, and I ran for the U.S. Congress, and I had a chance to visit classrooms, and I share with people my upbringing, working from sunrise to sunset for $3 a day. That's $15 a week. But $3 a day, I'm a son of the 60s and 70s, and they said, Mr. Thomas, looking at me like I had two heads. They said, you mean $3 an hour, right? $3 a day. So $15 a week. And uh, so slavery by another name, it really is, in a sense, sharecropping. And to be able to overcome and endure, you have to have a heritage of hard work and a legacy of faith. Hmm. And uh, that says it all. So a heritage of hard work, sunrise to sunset, no matter what the pay is, no matter how outrageous that is, and have a unbelievable and incomparable legacy of faith. And I can remember sitting uh, at the dining table in the kitchen table because the kitchen room and the dining room, same thing. (laughs) And to be able to have that uh, Bible there on the table and just uh, going through, you talk about David and Goliath and uh, the 23rd Psalm and just all of those things that continue to resonate. But it was those hymns and that uh, encouragement that came through the generations that uh, preceded me, my mom and my grandmom and granddad and great-grands who had this abiding faith. So a heritage of hard work and legacy of faith, those things in combination can help anyone to overcome and endure even unto the end. And so I chalk that credit up to uh, coming here from the pre-mortal foundation of the world, hardwired, for a heritage of hard work and a legacy of faith. And this country, despite the warts and imperfections, is still a land of promise and plenty where progress and prosperity can be and should be enjoyed by every willing heart. Bill? I think he just summed it up. I think he just gave us a summary. Thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, We want you to come back and give us an update on how things are going. And uh, I look forward to uh, supporting you, whatever you need. Just let us know. Thank you very kindly. You're welcome. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. It's been an honor being here on uh, the Common Ground podcast, Seeking Common Ground, trying to open the minds and hearts of the people. Let's move on from this era of uh, polarization, toxicity, and poison, and all of the meanness and the unkindness. We can do better, and we can be better. Thank you. Amen. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group, all rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PNL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.